0: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Hoops Royalty Podcast, bringing you royal takes live from the 901. I'm Karna Venkatraj, alongside King Jameson. We're looking forward to next season for our Grizz and recapping the conference finals. But first, this is a Grizzlies podcast, Grizzlies focused, and we have the same stuff but a different day. Ja makes the same mistake over again, flashing a firearm in one of his friend's cars while on Instagram Live. We got the tweets. I thought someone had sent me an old tweet. I I thought King had sent me an old tweet from a couple of months ago. But in fact, I felt like it was deja vu. I saw John Morant make the same mistake. King, you have a royal decree related to this? Hit me with it.
1: Karna, I was like Adam Silver. I was honestly shocked when I saw that video by John Morant because not only did he make a mistake a very public mistake by the face of your franchise he made the same mistake and so that leads me to the royal decree that john morant is not or at least should not be the leader of this team behind the scenes that role needs to fall on jaron jackson jr and desmond bain i don't know which one of the two of them is going to take the heavier burden but those two guys seem to be much more advanced in their decision-making at this point in their lives. All three of those guys are young. All three of them are incredibly wealthy, talented, and successful. And I still think John Moran's energy and passion is something that can inspire not only the rest of his team, but the city of Memphis as a whole. But that's not something he needs right now. He does not need to be the leader of this team behind the scenes. And I think it would honestly be hard for his team to trust him and to listen to him right now. So it's time for him to take a little bit of a backseat off the court. We're not talking about on the court, but off the court and let Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain be the leaders of this team in terms of their daily approach to everything they do. I'm not sure if any of those guys are actually willing to do that since Ja has been the leader for so long but my royal decree is that Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain should be the leaders of this basketball team.
0: And I'm stamping that royal decree. I mean, how could you not? How could you not? Um, One thing, my, my only caveat will be it's going to be hard for them to be the leader of the team because jaw wasn't only just the leader of the, you know, Memphis Grizzlies. He was a emerging face of the league. Right. And I think having that, Combined with the endorsements, combined with the contract, combined with what will probably be, I think, we'll, we're coming on maybe an all-star or if he plays enough, all-star, first-team NBA-type talent. In It's hard for the best player on the team not to be the leader on the team. Um, so I will caveat, it's not going to be easy, but the, I agree that the emotional heart and leadership of the team should fall on those two, Desmond Bain and um, Jaron Jackson Jr., one thing I want to roll into, kind of just opening with John and talking about what the future of the Grizzlies looks like, not just this season, but moving on. King, talk about what this might mean for a younger core in the league. Tell, tell us if, if you're more maybe sitting at, in the operations office, what are you thinking to yourself about this whole situation?
1: At the end of last season, if you're at the Grizzlies front office, you think you've got the greatest job in the world. Because you have this incredible young core, you've got endless assets, and most importantly, it seems like your young core really gets along. They fit together on and off the court. They seem to be very mature for their age. You know, They might talk a lot of trash, they might exude a lot of energy, but they're, they're making mature decisions, they're good leaders. Now a lot of that feels different, and obviously it starts with the face of your franchise showing such poor decision making. Repeatedly going back to the July 2022 incident at his house um, where he punched a 17 year old and that is now ongoing because the sheriff's department just this week uh, was they heard that they're going to be forced to respond to the subpoena in that case. So that's still ongoing. And then, of course, we go to the Pacers incident in January. You go to the first gun incident in March and now another gun incident in May. So that's the first thing, is that the face of your franchise is showing some incredibly troubling off-the-court behavior. But then, things aren't so rosy on the court as well. You still love your young core, but those guys around them did not necessarily develop in the way you expected them to. If I'm looking at the Grizzlies from another team's perspective, trying to trade with them, which of the young guys do I really want? Like We like David Roddy, but is he a tradable asset? We like Santi Aldama, is he a tradable asset? I mean, really Tyus Jones and Luke Kennard are probably your only guys outside of the core that have a lot of value to other teams. You know, maybe if you were willing to part with Steven Adams or Brandon Clark, those guys might have some value, but otherwise it's it's your core and then a bunch of role players that you might just be stuck with because other teams might not want them. And you've got a good pick situation still but it's not incredible anymore because your picks are probably falling in the later end of the draft. So teams aren't that interested in them. And you did use your picks from last season. In fact, you took on two first round picks. So all that to say, the Grizzlies are in an absolute win now mode. This is an urgent off season. And this jaw news, I think makes it harder for you to sign free agents. I still think the right guy would be interested in coming to Memphis and being a leader of this young team, but is, are you going to get the ring chasing vets to want to sign on to a situation where they don't know if the face of the franchise is really ready for that kind of leadership yet? I don't know. So I, I do think it is, it is a troubling and urgent off season for the Grizzlies.
0: Yeah. And I think we'd be remiss to talk, not frame this in, in the context of, of Memphis, right? Like, it's something that you and I have privately talked about a lot. You know, we both teach in in Title you know t- Title One school or was it Title Nine? Title um, One, Title One schools. Um, you know, Memphis is is a community and an area that's been ravaged by gun violence, and in so many ways, Jaw reflects the best of Memphis—the loud culture, the kind of in-your-face mentality, the grit and grind of of Memphis. And in so many ways, he reflects the best of Memphis. But as a leader and icon in the community, it sucks to see that he also represents some of the worst of Memphis, which is gun violence, right? I I think it it sucks because we both have kids that we teach or or that we taught that look up to him in so many ways. And and we see kind of the day-to-day of of his influence on on a generation of kids that can either make or break a community. And I think seeing him consistently choose the wrong path. And not only that, he had a chance for redemption because I think there's something to be said and something instructive for for kids being like, Hey, this guy made a mistake. And now look, he learned from his mistake and now he's never going to make that mistake again. And that's these, you know, we teach kids, they make mistakes and they learn from them. Having one of the leaders of the community, somebody look up to someone that they idolize, make the same mistake again in in a community that's ravaged by gun gun violence, it was heartbreaking for me. And that's the first thing, you know, we we really do care about the Grizzlies as an organization, but more than that, we we love Memphis. And I think after seeing that, that really sucked. I hope he grows up. I hope he transforms himself into somebody that kids around Memphis, kids around the country can really, really look up to. Because right now he's not that. And he needs to transform himself into that to really be the face of the league to transcend. You know, we think, we think about the NBA as, you know, it's wins and losses and you and I are both data minded people, but if you look at the history of the NBA, there's a hinge of social justice that's just been there, right? Whether it's, um, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Russell speaking out on, you know, social issues or Alan Iverson just culturally showing up for, um, You know, hip hop culture, the NBA plays such an important role in the minds of of young people more than any other sport, I would say, as far Mm -hmm. as culture making. And I think Ja doing this really, really hurt the brand of the NBA. But more than that, I think hurt the community of Memphis more than I think a lot of people are willing to say. And I really hope he transforms himself and represents Memphis in a way that, you know, is just better. (laughs) I, I, I can't think of a more eloquent way to say that, but it's just better.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to put you on the spot here because it's not something we put in our sure. very elaborate podcast planning doc. <laughs> but what would you like to see from Ja moving forward? What could he do to make up for this mistake and and be the kind of leader that we both believe he can be?
0: I think there needs to be some dialogue with gun violence nonprofits, right? Whether it's uh, – I, I, for, I forget the names off the top of my head. Um, but I, I think it's Moms Against – Hmm, I forget. I I don't want to say it wrong. So I'm not, I'm just not going to go ahead and say that. But like, there are gun violence nonprofits, anti-gang nonprofits, because I think that's much more targeted where, you know, to the mistake that he made and the mistake that he has made, right? Because I think if he starts speaking out on these kinds of issues, right, even though he's not, if (laughs) judging by his childhood, we know he was really not in those environments, but Having that connectivity with the Memphis community, I would like to see it more Memphis-focused. I'd love to see him partnering with nonprofits that we know that are in the area. I can give a name for one. Gentlemen's League would love to have you, man. <laughs> I know they would. If you ever see this, Gentlemen's League would love to have you in our schools. Um, but just also having a dialogue, I think – and this doesn't happen overnight because it's hard to have this dialogue right after you made the same mistake over again – but having a dialogue about redemption and how you learn from your mistakes and having that conversation with these nonprofits, with these kids in the Memphis community is how you get kids to start realizing, you know, we I, I, I make mistakes, I get in trouble, I can learn from it and become better and come back better. And I think if that narrative is explained by John Moran and whatever medium he wants to explain that me, uh, kind of story, that would really – signify some change. The other thing I would probably ask him to do is take a firearm safety course because clearly he hasn't done that. Um, I think, you know, there, there's something to be said. If you want to own firearms, that's your business, not my business, especially where it's legal. That's your business, but having some education, not only for him, but for the people that look up to him about, okay, I can't control whether or not you, you need a firearm or want a firearm but I need you to do it safely is also important. Um, so those are the two things, having some connectivity with the Memphis community through nonprofits and then publicly taking this firearm safety course would be really, really good. I, I think that's two steps that he can take. There are many more steps that he can take. Um, but like on the firearm safety course, again, it's not my business if you want to own a firearm, really not mine. But if someone in the community is saying, Hey, this is the way to safely own a firearm. Fine. I, 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 again, it's not my business, but that would be a good first step. I think. What about you? What do you think?
1: I I love both of those steps. The the thing I was going to say was your first point that we said after the first mistake that he had a great opportunity to show the power of redemption and change behavior and progressing as a human being, because we are all going to make mistakes and, the way you are going to ultimately be judged is how you respond to and come back from those mistakes. Well, the way he came back from that mistake was not so great, but now there's that chance again. And I think the thing he can really do to make Memphis a better place is to come out strongly against gun violence. um, And to admit that, yeah, I was wrong. I wasn't taking it seriously enough, but this is, the biggest issue facing our city today. Yeah. And here's some things we can do to fix it.
0: But, it's such a missed. Yeah. Right. No, no, it's just a missed opportunity for me. Like the, after the first time he should have done that and just never made this mistake again. The second time you look like you just look bad, man. It's going to take much more time to like recover from that. Cause what are you going to scope to a kid and be like, Hey, you shouldn't use guns or like guns, you know, can, can breed violence. And, but the, the kid's just going to look at them and be like, you've done this twice, man. <laughs> like kid, I think when you haven't taught or been in the classroom, you don't understand how smart kids are. Like you don't understand how intuitive and how much they're just learning from their environment that they are. And our kids are wicked smart. So it's like, they're not going to just be like, Oh, well, John Morant said it. they're going to look at his past behavior and judge him for that as well. Just like any adult would. So it's like, it's kind of a missed opportunity, but there's still I still believe there's an arc, redemption arc that Ja can have and be a leader in the community. But instead of waiting, you know, five weeks, which he could have done after the first time, he's gonna have to wait like months now, <laughs> to to right. like settle everything down. Sorry, King, go ahead.
1: And and that brings us to our last point on John Morant, which is the impending suspension that he is certainly facing. Um, Adam Silver's comments at the NBA draft lottery, if you didn't see them, he said he was shocked and he said that he was personally expecting the worst when it came to disciplinary measures. So that had Grizzlies fans very scared, thinking half season, full season suspension. Um, I, I wanna hear your thoughts first, Karna. How long of a suspension do you think Ja is facing for the coming upcoming 2023-24 season?
0: I think at minimum 25% of the season. So for it's so like 20 ish games, I am guessing based off silver's comments that the more probable outcome is close to 35, 30. Um, I think if it was the first time he makes this mistake. We're fine, but two in a row. No, that's not, it's not going to work for the league. And, I've heard some discourse on like the legality of it. I, I forget what's was he in Colorado again, or I forgot which state he was in.
1: I believe he was in Tennessee.
0: Tennessee. Okay, so I mean, what what was what he was doing illegal? No, but this is the point. Is is the NBA carefully curates its message and? Um, and does a lot of work as, as far as like PR and, and things like that. I think NBA is one of the few organizations that is socially conscious um, in a way that that is like really meaningful. Um, I mean, I, I think all the sports leagues have, have started to move this way, too, and it's great. Um, so I, I think the NBA is going to have to come down hard on him because this it's such a flashpoint in our country Right now, um, I mean, with, whichever side you're on, it's a flashpoint either way, and he's going to have to spend some time, and I want him, the thing is, I want him to spend some time reflecting. I think he's moving too fast, I think his world is moving too fast, I think someone needs to sit him down and say, hey man, take these next nine months, and whatever you need to do to like get yourself right, you do, right? And it means staying away from the clubs. It means starting to act more professional. I, I think, you know, the NBA will come down hard on him. The NBA will have something to have a hand in his suspension as well. Um, now, whether that's actually, I don't, I, I forget. I, I think that the, it's on the Grizzlies to actually suspend him. Um, but I think the NBA will have some communication on and a hand in some say in what goes, what goes on with him. But all that's to say is I'm glad it's happening. I think you need he needs to slow everything down, and it's not like the Grizzlies are really gonna like we saw this year that the Grizzlies can't function without him. It's just gonna be a, a matter of is he actually gonna take that time to mature, or slow down, and be like, okay, this whole thing, everything, the sponsorships, the uh, you know, I iconic like iconic symbol that I am the, you know, the love, the admiration, all this stuff is almost taken away from me. Am I going to learn from this? And I hope he takes whatever, how many ever games it is, he takes to, to realize that he did something wrong. But I, I to answer your question, 30 to 35.
1: Yeah, I'm going to take the other side of this and say, it may not be a good thing for John Morant not to be playing basketball. Um, particularly when the suspension is so long after the incident like, whatever healing and growth he's going to go through personally can happen this offseason regardless of the suspension. And the other part of it is that what he did, while idiotic and unacceptable um, for the face of a franchise, let alone somebody who's an international superstar, it wasn't illegal. And, you know, if, if there was no Instagram Live, then what he did... Was fine. It's like this is not something that uh, that you would be put in jail for or otherwise penalized, um, unless something terrible happened with the firearm, which goes to your point about a firearm safety class. So from that angle, and and there have been other Grizzlies writers who have said this, notably Jeff Calkins. It's hard to suspend somebody for doing something that's legal in Tennessee. And when you have state representatives in Tennessee sending out Christmas cards with they and their family all holding AR-15s, it's hard to say that what Jaw did was so bad that he deserves a half-season suspension. Um, that being said, whatever he gets, it's very hard to argue for the from the Grizzly side from Jaw's side because this is the second time he was sternly warned the first time. And so I think we're looking at something between 20 to 40 games. Um, I went back through the list of past NBA suspensions. There's really not a good precedent. Um, Gilbert Arena's got 50 games for bringing a gun into the locker room to threaten the teammate. I guess that, to me, shows the absolute ceiling of the suspension. And then I think the floor of the suspension is about 12 games, a little bit more than he got the last time. And I think we're, what, what we've both said around 20 to 30 is probably where it's going to land. And that's going to have a, a huge impact on the Grizzlies' season. Obviously, if, if all is well, he'll be right for the playoffs. But, you know, it, it's it's just not the way you want to start a season without your full core ready to go. And it's not even because of the name.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know how much this is going to matter, but I'll just reiterate this one point. It's not like this guy plays for, like, Golden State or, like, Denver. And, and there are there's gun violence everywhere in America. This guy plays for the Memphis Grizzlies, right? Like, this is a community that's been ravaged by gun violence. We've seen it. We have, you know, to be candid, we, we I'll just leave it at that. We've seen it. And... I think – I wonder if that plays a role in the NBA's decision or the Grizzlies' decision. I think it does, a, a slight role in that, um, but but we will just have to see. I think 20 to 40 games sounds about right as far as what the NBA will see. I think the Gilbert Arena's precedent – if they gave him 50, that would be indication that the league has – and I'm not going to put a value judgment on whether it's good or bad, but the ju- like that the league has drastically changed how it does discipline because that like Gilbert Arenas brought the gun into the locker room to threaten a teammate, right? Like Jod, I, I will say this: Jaw did not get close to that level of of potential violence. Um, but I, I think you know he will learn from this. I my hope is that he'll learn from this. My hope is that. And this is really the key. Whether it's 40, whether it's 20, whether it's 30, whether it's 10, whether it's none, he's got to clean up who he hangs out with. And first of all, it's not even that guy, like his Instagram live friend. It wasn't even his fault because I think he was shocked that like Ja picked up the weapon as well. But, dude, stop putting yourself in these situations where you're around firearms when you don't need it. You're rich enough. Hire someone else that's legally Allowed to carry weapons in the state of Tennessee or wherever you go to protect you. I'm not even sure you really need that much protection, to be honest. But if you feel more safe with that, then hire somebody. You're rich enough, man. You're way rich enough. Stop buying houses and just get some security if it's really that a bigger problem. All right. We kind of ran the gambit on JAW. I kind of want to move on to the fun stuff the general NBA. Um, let's talk about the Western Conference Finals. Uh, that was a beatdown. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. It was a beatdown. My, my brother's Nuggets um, just absolutely handled the Lakers. Uh, go ahead and uh, g- give me some thoughts on the Western Conference Finals, okay
1: uh, Denver Nuggets are a machine. And... They were a machine for a good part of the regular season and then had a bit of a drop off in the last month or two. And I think that had a lot of us, including me, thinking, oh, maybe it's the same old Denver. This offensive juggernaut who can't play any defense and whose game can be figured out in a playoff setting. I was wrong. We were wrong as an NBA collective because the Nuggets are absolutely for real. Um, They have a plus 9.2 point differential in the playoffs. That's the best by five points over the second-place Celtics. Um, That's the efficiency margin of a 62-win team, so of an absolutely elite regular season team. The way they're playing basketball in the pressure cooker of the playoffs um, is just a whole other level from where they were in the regular season. And it relies on the offense. They do have by far the best offensive rating in the playoffs at 121.7. Um, but their defense is fine. It's, it's middle of the pack in the playoffs, ranked eight if you look at cleaning the glass. Um, and I think you, you've seen incredible effort by some challenged defenders in Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. These guys don't have necessarily the tools or the body to be great defenders, but at least they are trying. Um, And I think that's gone a long way in there, you know, in Jokic's case, he's in the best shape of his life. He's able to play so much harder than we've seen before. But yeah, let me just throw this at you and then I want to get your thoughts on the Nuggets. Jokic is averaging in the playoffs 29.9 points per game on 54% shooting, including 47% from three. 13.3 rebounds and 10.3 assists. Only four other players have ever averaged a triple-double in the playoffs, and only one of those, Jason Kidd, played more than five games. So, like, the other three players were just one series runs, and then they were done. But to sustain this across three rounds is incredible. And by the way, when Jason Kidd averaged a triple-double, he averaged 14 points per game. Jokic is averaging almost 30. So to be an incredible scorer and to also be – the offensive hub, the facilitator for your team's offense, and be gobbling up boards left and right because you're really the only guy with size on your team, it's incredible what he's doing. And, you know, he may not be the star that everybody wants, not the hero that we wanted, but (laughs) the one that we needed.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I saw a tweet that said Nikola Jokic looks like he always is playing in slippers or like slides, which is hilarious because he does. He just doesn't look like super athletic. He has an esported game, but he just makes it work. I'm going to throw a name at you and this is going to maybe annoy you. Have you heard of a man named Jordan Adams? No. In the 2014 NBA draft, the Memphis Grizzlies at 22 selected Jordan Adams. Uh, Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. But uh, and then I think, uh, 19 picks later, we have Nikola Jokic being picked. Tough, tough to see, tough to be part of. Actually, Jordan Clarkson is down this list. We could have used him too. But um, to to. To close a loop on the Nuggets, um, they look like the best team in the playoffs. I don't really know how else to say it. One guy who I I love to see working out in this uh, kind of – I'll just talk about the role players a little bit more. You kind of download on Nikola Jokic and and Jamal Murray. I want to talk about Michael Porter Jr., Bruce Brown, and um, Aaron Gordon. They've been all really good when they needed to. And I think that – kind of shows us what the Grizzlies are missing in a vacuum, right? You rely on the three core, but they're not able to kind of carry the weight that Aaron Gordon, either way, these role players are really being, you know, as you put it in our podcast planning document, you know, you have six players averaging double figure scoring. This is how you win a championship. And if we use a corollary from like other sports, um, if you look at the twenty nineteen World Series, those guys um, just had all time seasons, and they and they were incredibly effective. But that's all to be all to say that they are all getting hot at the really the exact right time. And I think if they're all getting hot at the exact right time, they are going to be a, a problem in the finals. But what I worry about with the Nuggets is all this time off. Is mm. all this time off going to put them a step behind whoever comes out of game seven of the, of the Eastern conference finals. And there's a lot to be said, okay, well, you know, I think one side of the coin is, Hey, this team's going to get a ton of rest They're, You know, your body's beaten up by the time you get to this point in the season, the NBA is a very physical league. You know, it's good for them to have some time off. Nicole Jokic, you know, needs that time to just rest his body. He has a seven foot frame. On the other hand is some of your, like, is some of that, incredible chemistry is that is that going to take a couple more games to develop so i worry about games one and two of the finals for the nuggets is is there going to be any lag um just coming off of you know such a long rest and 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 the their opponent coming off such an emotional game seven and series is there a momentum being built i'd be really worried to see the celtics in game seven like you coming off a four-game win streak after jalen brown and jason tatum just tear apart jimmy butler if that's what happens in Game Seven, and I'm a Nuggets fan, I'm a little worried. Um, but what do you think, King? I want to get your thought on that. Do you would you rather have the rest, or um, are you are you taking Game One and Two, and you might see a little lag? What are you thinking?
1: First of all, I want to know what Jokic is up to. Is he just hanging out with his horses and his family up in the mountains? Is he is he watching these games at all? Does he care? Because. I really don't think it's going to matter for them. I, I'm not worried about the rest. Um, I'm worried about their defense a little bit. Because, as I said, it's still 8th in the playoffs um, out, of, out of 20 teams, because the playoff stats include play-in teams. It is They were 17th in the regular season. So they're, they're still a middle-of-the-pack defense. Um, and whether they're facing the Heat or the Celtics, they're going to be going up against an elite defense who will have the tools to at least slow them down. So my question is, if it's the Heat, can the Nuggets contain the ability to get to the basket with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo? And we've even seen Gabe Vincent and Max Struth be really effective at at taking people off the dribble. Um, So can they contain that points in the paint game against the Heat? And if it's the Celtics, we know the Celtics, they live and die by the three. They should have died by it in game six, but a bad shooting performance by Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo failed them out. But with their disability to go nuclear from three, that's something that even a team as good as the Nuggets, on the wrong day, they're they're not going to be able to keep up. But I personally think, whether it's the Heat or the Celtics, this series is ending in five or six games. I don't think it's going to be a competitive NBA Finals. If it goes to six games, I think it's kind of like the Hawks-Celtics first-round series that went to six. It's like, yeah, the Hawks won two games, but the series was never in doubt. So I, I do believe the Nuggets are far and away the best team. I do believe they're going to run away with the with the championship. Karner, are you picking Nuggets regardless of who comes out, or do you think the Celtics would have a chance? Uh,
0: well, with well, the Heat are not out of it yet. I will say that. Um, I, I will say this. It will be interesting to see If Nikola Jokic could still, if if the Heat come out, it's going to be Bam versus Jokic. Can Bam stop Jokic in some way and try to make them one-dimensional? I don't see that happening, and I agree with you. The Nuggets are going to take it away, but I think that matchup becomes interesting, right? Another thing to think about is if if there is some sort of lag, does Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, are they able to kind of, Figure their chemistry out and take a couple games. Because I think if they take the first two games, I think it is a competitive series, right? Especially if they take one of the games in Denver away from from the Nuggets and they take it back to the TD Garden 1 1. It's because it's 2 2, 1 1, 1, right?
1: Yes, but the Celtics yeah. would actually have home court advantage. Okay, in, so in then, that if,
0: but I think it still stands, right? If they take the two games in the TD Garden then and they take, you know, one away at the ballerina or whatever it's called. <laughs> I'm like the national media. I don't really watch them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, if, if they take, um, if they take one of those games away from uh, Denver at the, at the, at their house, that's, I think that's series over. I think the Celtics have a be- better shot than, than they think. I think it also depends on the lateral movement of Al Horford. Cause if he has <laughs> like, no, if he's not lateral at all, Nicole Jokic will take advantage because he's strong. He will go through Al Horford because Nicole Jokic is strong. Um, We saw kind of what he did to AD. He kind of bullied him a little bit. If Bam or Al Horford um, maybe hit the gym, take protein powder, do something, get stronger, and can stymie that up and down movement from Nicole Jokic and force him to go laterally, that could be... um, or rather horizontally, rather than vertically down the floor. I think that could be a, a, a really good strategy for making him more one-dimensional as far as scoring goes. I think it's very hard to make him one-dimensional as a basketball player. I don't think that's I don't think that's fruitful at all. Is thinking that you can do that and having this like comprehensive strategy. You double him. You don't let him get to the basket as much, and then you may have a shot. The issue with the Den like playing the Denver Nuggets is everyone's hot right now because Jamal Murray will drop thirty on your head. He has that ability, as we saw in the play- against the Lakers. So I, I mean, I, yeah, I agree. I think they're more multi-dimensional as a scoring. I think if you can get Nikola Jokic, one-dimensional as a scorer, you have a shot. Do I see it happening? No. I'm, I'm picking the Nuggets to win the NBA Finals. I, they just are look like the most complete team to me, offensively.
1: If you were going to build a defender in the lab to stop Jokic, Bam Adebayo might be pretty close yeah. to what you end up with. Uh, a big guy who's very strong and can move his feet. Um, you know, we, We've already seen throughout the playoffs that anybody who tries to take Bam ISO has a very rough time. Um, yeah. And Jalen Brown's tried it a few times in this series, and it has not gone well. Julius Randle tried it in the previous series. It did not go well. So Bam is an elite one-on-one defender, also an elite help defender, maybe he's he shuts off Jokic's water a little bit. The thing is, I think the best strategy against Jokic in this playoffs has been to turn him into a scorer and not let him be this facilitator with an incredible array of shooting around him. Um, when you double him, he's going to see over that double. He's the best passer in the history of the game. He's going to find the open guy. And when you've got six players averaging double figures, all shooting 45% or higher that guy's probably going to make the shot. So your odds with really trying to turn your attention on Jokic as a scorer are very low. If you try to, to turn him into a passer, that's how he wants to play. Where you, I, you have a better shot is if you yeah. say, we're going to play you straight up. You might get 50, but we trust that our scoring and the, the lack of the other guys getting involved will be enough in the end. That actually works for Phoenix. In a couple of games, uh, I know Jokic had a, a 50 point game in which they lost, the Nuggets lost because he wasn't getting the other guys involved. Um, it would just be interesting to see whether it's the Celtics or the Heat, whether they take that lesson of the playoffs and say, let's make him a, uh, let's play him one on one, make him a scorer, or are they going to do what teams traditionally do to a scoring big, come with a double?
0: I mean, yeah, I, I think my, my, my argument though, is not necessarily, you know, you, you can't force him into being a scorer. I just think what they figured out from the Sun series was that they they're still more multi-dimensional, especially with Jamal Murray going off in the conference finals. They're more multi-dimensional than I think they first anticipated that they that they were going to be. I think that the hangover from Jamal Murray's injury was much less than what we thought it would be. And he's found ways to score and be effective in a way that even if you make Nikola Jokic a one-dimensional scorer, I think Jamal Murray has the ball skills now and the confidence now to affect the game, to make it almost impossible to really, really force Nikola Jokic to play one-dimensionally. Insofar as you're probably being a guard over... And the rotation and ball movements from the Nuggets is such that you can, Nikola Jokic will drop 50, but he will also have 15 assists. So it's a wicked problem, man. Like, it's a problem as soon as you try to address one thing, something's going to change. And I think that's what makes this the Nuggets so effective. But like I said, like, I think once you get into a seven-game series, a seven-game set, like, the Celtics are no slouch any. So let me ask you this. If I'm the Nuggets and I'm the Nuggets front office, who are you hoping for? Are you hoping for this heat? Or are you hoping for the Celtics?
1: Man, it's, it's so dangerous to keep on doubting the heat. Um, but I do think you're, you're wanting the heat because I think we were already seeing in what has happened in games four through six, the heat are losing their legs a little bit. I think so. Jimmy and Bam are tired of having to carry such heavy usage. Um, the incredible shot-making you've gotten at times in this playoffs from Strews, Vincent, Robinson, and Martin, that's kind of dropping off a little little bit. Um, So if the the law of averages would tell you the Celtics are a more dangerous team because they've been doing this the whole season, whereas for the Heat, this has truly been a playoff elevation, that they are on the heater of all heaters. So I I don't think the Celtics are actually – that well equipped to beat the Nuggets, like if you're just looking roster to roster, matchup to matchup. But um, they're the far more talented team. And, you know, I don't even think they played at their peak this playoffs. So so you do have to worry if they are shooting 40% from three for the whole series. If both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown average 25 plus for the series, what can that team do honestly, the sky's the limit. That would be a potentially an incredible thing. Uh,
0: I'll just take the other side. Just I, I agree with you generally, but this is what I would say. I think Bam and Jimmy are really well-equipped to shut down some of what the Nuggets do in terms of you have Jimmy on Jamal. Right, Jimmy's proven himself to be an elite defender. Bam has also proven himself to be an elite defender. And at that point, you are... Probably the best defensive team that the Nuggets have seen so far in the playoffs. Would you say that? Yeah. I, the, Lakers, I would,
1: the Lakers were playing such good defense in the playoffs, and then the Nuggets yeah. just kicked them apart. That's um, true. But I think so that I they
0: were maybe showing a little bit more age than, than no, I agree. else. I think, I agree. Yeah, I think 38-year-old LeBron, who's playing probably through a couple injuries, was just not equipped to, to deal with that. I think – I mean, Jimmy's not young either, but I, I think – um Jimmy and Bam are uniquely positioned to s- disrupt at least some of what uh, Jamal or Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic are able to do. That's my only point. I think Al Horford's way too old to be guarding Nikola Jokic. I think oh, uh, Nikola Jok- sure. Jokic is going to run right through him. But I, I think what would be interesting is like Robert Williams, some of those role players on the Celtics. How would they match up and how would they combo with Al Horford to defend Nikola Jokic? Because they do have some length on the Celtics. Um,
1: so we'll, so let's, we'll do a full NBA yeah. Finals preview when we know the matchup. Yeah. And now let's transition a little bit. By the time people listen to this, we will they they will probably have watched Game Seven. They will probably know okay. who is playing in the Finals. But let's just do a little bit of legacy talk on Heat Celtics Game Seven, just for the fun of yeah. it. Um, the Heat were an eight seed. They had they lost the first playing game and had to win uh, a game that they trailed for a long portion against the Bulls just to make it in. Now they're here in the conference finals, but then they had a 3-0 lead and they're headed to a game seven after that 3-0 lead. Could be the first team in 151 tries to blow a 3-0 lead. Um, they are the first team to to face a game seven after a 3-0 lead on the road. Uh, the other three teams who forced a game seven um, they then had to go back on the road to play that Game 7. The Celtics are the first team to, to go down 3-0, force a Game 7, and, and get that Game 7 at home. So all that said, does a loss for the Heat, if they are the first team to blow the 3-0 lead, does it tarnish Jimmy and Spolster's legacy, which just a few days ago, those two guys were on a rocket ship to the basketball Mount Rushmore.
0: No, I don't think it does. In, in any, like, real sense, I think the only thing it does, it it, it does show up on every single, um, like, scorecard ever. Like, you know the LeBron meme, how it's, like, iconic now? It, that will be it, – it will be embarrassing. It will hurt their legacy a little bit. I think it hurts Jimmy's legacy more than Spolster's legacy, to be honest. Because um, I, I, I think you – you have this kind of narrative that he, he's Himmy Butler. He's him in the playoffs. You know, he's talking all that trash. I think for Spolster, this adds to the legacy no matter what. Because it, you coach the eight seed and really you coach the eight seed all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think Spolster's reputation isn't hit too hard from this. I think I think they're both reputations are hit hard. I think Jimmy's is hurt worse. I think Spoke and recover especially if he brings another championship to the South beach. So yeah, I mean, does it really tarnish their legacy? Yes. I think it does a little, but I think in another sense, they're kind of not lucky to be there because they played their way there. But I think you can say a lot by saying, okay, well, it's an eight seed. They were in the play in and they dominated the bucks in a very real sense. in a, in a lot of ways, which has one of the best players in the generation on that team. I think there's a lot to be said. There's a lot of moments that if I'm a heat fan, I take away and say, this was an awesome season. If we, even if we go down in game seven, also, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a like set thing that they go down here. I think if, I don't know, but I, I, I think it's going to be a great game.
1: Yeah. Check out some betting content coming soon about yeah. Game 7. From King. But
0: from King. Yes, from see you King
1: better. only.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> I will have to agree with that and say, at the end of this, yes, if, if the Heat lose Game 7, they're going to be a meme. Um, But if we just go back to the fact that they are the first team to have gone up 3-0, lose the next three to end up in a Game 7, and they're the first to have to go on the road for that Game 7... That just shows they weren't supposed to be here in the first place. Those other three teams that had a 3-0 lead and lost it, they were the better team. And so, yeah, they ended up winning Game 7 at home. The Heat are in a different situation. Not only were they the lower-seeded team, the 8-seed playing the 2-seed, but they were also the far less talented team. Yes, the Heat, we look at them and we say, okay, yeah, with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo alone, it probably shouldn't have been. The eight seed, but this was a middling team throughout the season that honestly had to win a lot of close games just to make the play in. They had a negative point differential for the season. I mean it's it's crazy that they're here and as dominant as they were for those first two rounds and more say first two and a half rounds, um, I think that just further solidifies Jimmy as a top five playoff performer, maybe top three, and spolster as the best coach in the NBA. I am not going to let this taint my image of those two guys more than just saying that they couldn't single-handedly bring a team to the finals. Um, And then on the flip side, if the Celtics lose game seven, does this mean Joe Missoula is for sure out or they have to make roster changes? Um, In other words, is this such a big failure that they
0: have to respond to it? I think if they go down in four, yeah. You If you get swept by the heat, yeah. I think they probably don't fire Joe Missoula just because of that they don't want... Like, you have Brad Stevens, Ime Adoka, and then another Joe Mazzula. Like, you don't want to be on the coaching carousel. And I don't know if what's what we're seeing from the Celtics is really his fault <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, right? I think you have to look at the front office because they invested a lot in Jason Tatum and Jalen uh, Brown working together. They do not work well together on the court. They just don't um, like whether it's overpassing or waiting for the other person to take the reins. They just don't fit. They they, they cannibalize each other in a way that or like their, their skill set cannibalizes each other in, in a way that makes them inefficient on the court. And I think – if you can limit like one of them in a lot of ways, you you have you are successful in, in stopping this team, especially in the seven game series when they're when you are seeing each other a lot. I think this is the last time we see Jalen. If they lose, I think it's definitely the last time we see Jalen Brown in a Celtics uniform. I'll leave uh-huh. it at that. Like I think I think I think it's the last time we see Jalen Brown in a Celtics uniform. I think most likely gets traded. Or he's he's not up for free agency, so most likely gets traded somewhere. The Rockets <laughs> or the Grizzlies? <laughs> um. No, no.
1: The Grizzlies. If the Grizzlies trade for him, they're trading Desmond Bain. Oh, and for sure. Yeah. Th- this this playoffs has only solidified that I would rather have Desmond Bain than Jalen Brown, particularly yeah. Desmond Bain.
0: I at see that. Twenty four. Yeah. Um, what? Jalen Brown's thirty now. He must be thirty now. I'm, I might, hold on. Let me check that real quick.
1: Yeah, let's let's check that. But he's he's much older. And if you look at their year twenty four season side by side, Desmond Bain. Oh, I'm is sorry, twenty six. I don't he's know why he thought I thought he was. Um, yeah, I mean Jalen Brown's sure. still a young guy. Um, yeah, but if you look at their at he and Desmond Bain's um, year three side by side, I guess not age twenty four season, but year three side by side, Desmond Bain is at a whole nother level. Um, and while Desmond Bain might not have the athletic tools, I don't want to give up the fit next to John Morant because he is yeah. the perfect fit—a shooting two guard who can yeah. who can defend. Um, that's that's not something you're just going to be able to find, um, even in yeah. a player like Jalen Brown, who is who probably needs the ball a little bit more than Desmond Bain does.
0: Yeah, um, but I, I mean, yes, I agree with you. But I, I think you. Know, I just like focusing back into the Celtics. I just don't think you see him another, I I think they need to find a different piece to go with Jason Tatum, hopefully a big or a stretch four or five to, to make it through to the, and and really stretch the floor in a way that if you got prime Al Horford, he probably could, but you don't have prime Al Horford. Um, so I think they just need to look for a different piece to go with Jason Tatum and they're investing in him. He got the shoe. (laughs) That's that'll tell you enough. They're not going to trade like a marketable asset like Jason Tatum. Um, and I think Jalen Brown. This is the last year we see him in a Celtics jersey. Um, I mean, there, that's been already like the rumor was that they weren't going to bring him back and they're going to move on from him. I think that makes sense, just based off how they're playing. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's my that's that my thought is that the I don't know about Joe Mazzula. I, I I would be hesitant to think the front office makes that a, a sweeping move, you know. So soon after he was hired, especially getting back off onto the coaching carousel. Um, and they get in kind of late too, so like a lot of the good coaching talent will already probably be scooped up. Um, because I can't uh, think uh, who's on the market. I know Ime Udoka. obviously he's not going back to the Celtics, but I know he's uh he got picked up by the Rockets. Who else is out there?
1: You still got Nick Nurse. Mike Budenholzer okay. out there. Frank Vogel's out there. Um,
0: okay. And I okay. wonder – Those if... are the two. Nick Nurse and, and Mike Budenholzer were the, like the top two. And then Frank Vogel – I mean, he did win a championship, I guess. There are yeah. three championship-winning coaches out there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think you still stick with the young guy. Like, he's 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 not coached himself out of a position here. Um. If anything, I think the front office needs to work in getting some more pieces for Jason Tatum. Um, but oh. go ahead. What are your
1: thoughts? What would I you, disagree would... on both points. I think if they lose okay. Game 7, Joe Maz is done. Um, all you got to know about Joe Maz's status is to listen to Bill Simmons, oh a gosh. diehard Celtics fan, and listen to what his dad says and listen to what Celtics Twitter says. They hate Joe Missoula or at least have no respect for him. And from an outsider perspective, you're like, well, and this guy took over as uh, a 32-year-old head coach. Like, are we really holding into this standard? But but he has made a lot of mistakes. I do think he's improved, actually, in Game 4 through 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think if they lose, they're still going to see this. From a Celtics point of view, they're still going to see this as a failure. They're going to want to scapegoat somebody, and it's going to be Joe So
0: you're saying uh on, on February 16 2023 they signed this guy to a contract extension they name him the head coach you think they're going to move on from him in like less than half a season
1: I do and I think it's because they know that they would be the top destination for Nick nurse uh, or Michael. that's Malibu that is fair
0: cool. the coaching talent market is such that that would make sense but that would also be I would be I think there's something to be said about the reputationally what that does for a front office, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think you could say, like, okay, these guys are willing to fire me after one year, if I'm Nick Nurse or Mike Budenholzer after just winning championships for my franchise, and then seeing this guy get cut not even a year after making it to the conference finals and forcing a Game 7, I think that you, the Celtics, I think it still is a top destination. I'm not going to say it's not. But I think you walk into that negotiation behind the eight ball, whereas I think if you give this guy another year, he's a new head coach, especially at this level. He's only 34. He's going to make mistakes. It's like, do you have Sean McVay or do you have one of the other like 15 other 30 year old head coaches that the NFL has moved on from? Right. And I think you give him another year to figure that out. Um, Cause I think that's a corollary, right? Like that's the movement and all, you know, a lot of coaching in, in the NBA and NFL is like, you're looking for young guys who are data minded, who are willing to like, accept what the front office is saying and implement what the front office is saying. I think you have that guy in Joe Missoula. I think if you go to like a Nick Nurse or Mike Budenholzer, you probably have to rejigger how you, the information flows in the front office. Um, so I think there's a lot of like switching costs or switching things that, that the front office probably isn't equipped to do and doesn't want to do, especially if they are willing to like nix a guy right after leading his team to the conference finals. But that being said, I think on the other hand, you have a point, right? The Celtics have been on the precipice for so many years now, right? Even a finals trip, they have, something has to get them over the hump. I don't know if it's coaching I would probably say if I'm a Celtics fan, I'm putting this more at the feet of the front office, not being able to get one other star to like push them way over the edge and just relying on JT and JB to be like, okay, these guys are good enough. Let's roll with them. I mean, you have Al Al Horford, but you need one more guy, I think, to push that franchise. And that has nothing to do with coaching.
1: I just don't think you're going to get anybody better. Jalen Brown. I think they've, they've been probably behind the scenes just kind of shopping it out for a while now and just seeing that the return on a guy like Jalen Brown is not going to be what you, yeah. what you want when you're not trying to rebuild. You don't want picks. Yeah. You want players to help. You, you. need now. Um, yeah, you need now. So I think they're going to have to keep the core. Um, the, the thing that the Celtics have is incredible depth. Um, when When you have a choice to say, oh, you know, Derek White not playing so well. This guy who's like a Sixth Man of the Year candidate in the right situation. Yeah, we can just bench him for a game because we have Malcolm Brogdon or you know Al Horford, a guy who's been a part of of you know not championship winning teams but really good teams Close. for his yeah. entire career. Uh, and you'd be like, well, the matchup's not right. We have Robert Williams and Grant Williams to play in the front court. The, yeah. the amount of options they have. Um, means that even if they only have two true stars, that's probably enough. Um, and another guy who's playing really well right now is Marcus Smart in games four through six. It, he's really, really turned it on in terms of his shooting and his passing. But let's let's move off the Celtics for a little bit and uh, we'll, we'll get more into the NBA Finals when we know the matchup um, and can really dive into that. But let's finish with some thoughts about the Grizz offseason. So we already said... That, uh, or at least I said, I'm not entertaining the Jalen Brown for Desmond Bain conversation that probably isn't happening anyway. But let me throw this by you. Let me throw this at you, Karna. Um, It's looking like Mikhail Bridges is not available, but I'm going to present to you two trades and you tell me which one you like more. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, trade number one the net sign and trade Cam Johnson, and you send them Pius Jones. Santi Aldama, let's probably throw Luke Kennard, and three first-round picks. So that's trade number one, because, and actually, you could probably do it with Jones and Aldama if they value those assets, if you want to switch Aldama for Tillman. That's cool with me, too. But Cam Johnson for Tyus Jones, Santi Aldama, and three first-rounders. That's option number one. Option number two, OG Ananobi and Gary Trent from the Raptors. And you send them Tyus Jones, Luke Kennard, Xavier Tillman, Zaire Williams, and four first rounders. Which of those two trades do you prefer? Do you like both of I them think or I'm or do you taking like either of
0: them. Yeah, I'm taking OG Ananobi and Gary Trent's trade. Um, I mean, Xavier Tillman has been a great player. Zaire Williams hasn't shown up the way he needs to. Luke Kennard and Tyus Jones are probably what hurts us the most. But as we'll get into with the free agent market, there are some point guard options. Um, Yeah, I I, I like OG Ananobi uh, defensive capabilities. I like Gary Trent's veteran ability. Cam Johnson, to me, he's 27 years old, right? Which is fairly young. Um, So this is my thing. He's... he's, He played 42 games last season, 15.5 points, averaged two assists. Over his career, he's 11.3 points, 1.5 assists. His offensive capabilities have been middling, to say the best. I don't understand what step he takes to where he's like a super impact player that replaces Tyus Jones, Santi Aldama, and the possibility of three first-round picks. I think you just get more impact from OG Ananobi and Gary Trent and you offload some players that, if we're being very frank, are not going to add what you need to win a championship. Like Jire Williams played a handful of minutes. Xavier Tillman had great games, but those games aren't repeatable really. The big piece that you're losing probably from a championship run team if you were to make this trade is Luke Kennard. Right? Like a, a role player that can hit threes when you need him to. And, and
1: yeah, the reason why I threw him in that trade is because from what I hear, the Raptors are not thrilled with Gary Trent and would be okay moving on from him. And they are a team that needs shooting. So Trent does provide some shooting, but he's much streakier than Luke Kennard, who obviously by percentage was the best three-point shooter in the league. So I, I do think that could be the enticing part of the trade for them. Yeah. And
0: Ananobi's no slouch either, though, in the three-point game. He has, what, he yeah. averaged... 38.7% in the regular season, um, which is good. It's not Luke Kennard good, but it's good. Um, and I will take that. And I think Gary Trent, he adds a veteran presence that the team desperately needs, if we're being honest. Um, you know, I don't know. He's played five seasons. I, I think the, this. the reason I'm being a little bit more hesitant is because the Grizzlies have put themselves in a situation where, they're, like you were saying, their draft capital isn't as impactful as it needs to be, and they're still missing some pretty big pieces. So the Grizzlies are kind of hard to trade with insofar as it, you have a lot of pieces that could play on championships teams but aren't going to be cornerstones of championships team, and a lot of draft capital – That isn't really at the high end of draft capital. So you have a lot of middling pieces, both on existing players and draft picks. That being said, I like the Raptors trade a little bit more. I think Cam Johnson does have more potential for growth. But if we're in win now mode, OG Ananobi, defense, three-point shooting, Gary Trent, veteran presence, they can be cornerstone pieces, cornerstone role players on a championship winning team but we give up one role player that could be on a championship winning team in Luke Kennard. And from what we've seen, Tyus Jones is not a playoff performer. So I'm taking that trade. What about you? What are you thinking?
1: If the the Nets would accept just Tyus Jones, Alabama and three first rounders, given that those first rounders are very likely to be in the second half of the draft, I would do that trade. I'm just not sure the Nets are interested because Cam Johnson is a young player who can shoot from three Because he doesn't need the ball. He can kind of fit in any scheme around any set of players. That's only really working if the Nets are trolling for picks and they want to upgrade their point guard spot with Tyus Jones. Maybe you can do something with the Nets where a three-team trade where somebody else gets Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't know if the Grizzlies have the money to make a trade involving Spencer Dinwiddie work. I've been playing around with it on the trade machine for a while. Um, Just If you're talking about Cam Johnson probably getting sign and trade, it's somewhere like 20 mil a year. Spencer Dinwiddie already making 20 mil a year. The Grizzlies just don't have enough salary to send out in that deal to take on both of those guys. But I do think if, if you have an end with the Nets, it is they're trying to do a mass draft capital um, to kind of make up for the, the trade that they did to get Harden a few, a few years ago. And... Um, they probably would like a better point guard than Spencer Dinwiddie. And so Tyus Jones might be interesting. I would definitely do that trade for Cam Johnson. I just don't think it's on the table. The Raptors one, I don't know. I th- that might be on the table. I definitely think Tyus Jones would be interesting to the Raptors. They have Fred VanVleet, but he's getting older. He's been much less effective recently. Um, Luke Kennard, for a team that desperately needs shooting, there's a reason why the Grizzlies traded for him. The Raptors might be interested as well. Uh, they would love some front court depth. Xavier Tillman provides that, and they're looking for young players to kind of fill the void. If there's a Raptors-type player, it's a six-eight toolsy wing like Zaire Williams, and then you're throwing like four first-round picks on there. So, yeah, huge. if if they're interested in that, I'm I'm taking it. I'm taking both of those trades. Again, the problem is I'm not sure if what the Grizzlies have to offer is really attractive to anyone. Um, and I think the Grizzlies are going to have to be willing to part with three to five first round picks to make any major deal happen because you don't have that magic bullet of like a, this pick could be in the top ten. The one wild part is how much the teams value the 2024 Golden State Warriors first round pick, to the yeah. Grizzlies own. Because that one, with the way the Warriors struggled last season and with the uncertainty around their offseason, there may be some speculation that the Warriors are going to really drop off next season. And so that pick might have some value that the Grizzlies own picks don't, but let's, let's wrap up to Any other thoughts on the Grizzlies off season?
0: I actually want to, I'm going to throw a couple names at you and you tell me, let's forget draft. Let's forget. I just want to talk about basketball strategy right now. Don't worry about salary. We can take care of that later. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, or Kyrie Irving. All free agents. Which one are you taking out of those three?
1: For, for the Grizzlies let's, or for any
0: team. Grizzlies. Because let's say we're, we're losing, we're, we're losing, um, Ja, for like forty games. Which one are you taking? Which point guard?
1: Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving, or or James Harden. I think Kyrie Irving is still the best of those three players, and it's not yeah. particularly close. Um, but are, are do you want to take on more off-court issues? I mean, yeah. take off one guy who's in danger of being dropped by Nike for somebody who actually was dropped by Nike? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't want any of those three guys because while they are veterans, I don't think that any one of them is the exact type of veteran the Grizzlies need to fix the culture, and it's not worth bringing on a guy like that for significant uh, salary really changing the chemistry of your team just because your point guard is going to be out for the first yeah. relatively meaningless half of the season.
0: Yeah. I was just curious. Uh, that, that was my last thing. <laughs> I just wanted to see if there was anything um, like a- any validity to like having those guys step in and because it, it would be James Harden for me, right? Cause he could play one or two pretty effectively. And he's played with the dynamic big and Joel Embiid that could fit with um, Jaren Jackson Jr. So, uh, but that was, that was kind of just my thought. Also, uh, just throwing it out there, Rui Hachimura is a free agent in 2023. For some reason, he can drop 30 on us. So like, can we get him? Um, that come would be drop cool. 30 with us. Yeah, come drop 30 with us. Yeah. Um, no, I, that would be I, I would
1: definitely be interested. I think Austin Reeves is also a free agent, but he's going to be a massive overpay yeah. for whoever gets him. And oh, the yeah? Lakers aren't going to let him go. Um, Bruce Brown Hachimura. also. Hachimura and Bruce Brown are guys that if you could get them for the MLE, um, the, the non-taxpayer MLE, you're absolutely upgrading um, your roster with those guys. There
0: um, are some guys that we could we could pick up in free agency that would definitely, like Kyle Kuzma would make us better. $13 oh, million Kyle getting Kuzma paid right sure. now. Lopez. I think Kyle Kuzma,
1: if you could, the problem is the Grizzlies don't actually have a ton of cap space. But if yeah. they can use the cap space they saved with John Morant's um, not exactly. getting All-NBA, not getting the Supermax, if, if you can throw that together with the MLE and get Kyle Kuzma, that may be your best route. Um, and true. I do yeah. believe Kyle Kuzma would be potentially interested in the Grizzlies. I mean, yeah. he's been stuck on the Wizards, so getting a, team, getting a chance to play for a team um, in the championship hunt would be yeah. attractive. I'm just worried that the way he's played the last couple seasons, he's turned himself into a guy worth a lot more than 13 Unfortunate
0: minutes. for us. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, man. I think we hit everything we needed to. I would encourage you guys to watch out for the NBA finals preview. It will be fun. It will be contentious probably. Um, either, even though we both already today picked the Nuggets to win against whoever, <laughs> um, we will have different basketball strategy takes. I promise you that. Um, so stay tuned for that. Anything else, King? Wrap us up, man.
1: Also look out for some more Grizzlies off-season content. Yep. You know, we got the draft coming up. The Grizzlies have the number 25, number 45, and number 56 pick. Personally, I don't really want them to take people with any of them. Because they have enough projects on the roster, we don't need more. But um, we'll definitely have some names for you for for the draft and and just some thoughts about draft night yeah. trades, what the Grizzlies might do in yeah. probably their most pivotal offseason mm-hmm. in franchise history.
0: We already have the we already have the Victor Wembanyama stopper, right, Kenny Lofton Jr. So <laughs> you're in a good place with that. <laughs> we already right. won the draft, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: guys. People people forget that Kenny Lofton was the 4-D chest move by the Grizzlies front office to be ready. Yeah,
0: yeah. For the I'm Victor telling you, yeah, he just bullied him, man. I He put his shoulder into his chest, and that's going to be a problem. Whoever picks him, that's going to be a problem.
1: Well, Bignana almost certainly going to be in the Grizzlies' division, and the division has been really a feasting ground for the Grizzlies the last two seasons. That's gonna tra- that's gonna change. The Spurs are getting better. The Mavericks can't possibly be as bad, and uh, your Houston Rockets. I don't know. I mean, still obviously bad. <laughs> so, are, yeah.
0: Just a horror show. <laughs>
1: just so. I don't know. It, it, when they yes, the draft lottery did not go well, but uh, who knows what what y'all can do with Ime Adoka.
0: We'll see. All right, man. We'll see you later. This has been the Hoops Royalty Podcast. Uh, Royal takes coming from the nine Oh one. We'll see you next time.